Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian. I am just a lowly editor here at Waters. And I am joined by James Rundle, who's got the exalted title of U.S. editor. So everybody, please down to His Majesty. More genuflection. It's been a while as well, but you're supposed to welcome me back with style. He hasn't been here for weeks. We got him back. It's Rundle, everyone. James, you you were literally on the podcast last week. Oh, yeah. Oh, it feels like forever. Off to a flying start. A week's a long time. <laughs> so today, we are going to, uh, we're only going to talk for technology for about five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to look a little bit at some blockchain projects based off of some both news stories that we wrote for this week and um, a profile that just went up today. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit quickly. It's stuff that we've already kind of hit on, so we're not going to get too deep in any of that. Um, and then we're going to talk a lot about politics and just the past 10 days have been about pretty stupid on just a lot of different levels. I think the main theme is actually stupidity rather than politics. Yes. Yeah, yeah, stupidity. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a more accurate way of putting it. And uh, just because those are some things that we just want to kind of get off our chest. And I don't know, maybe some of you guys just want to hear our thoughts. And But we <laughs> fully invite you to just cancel us yeah, out and exactly. soon, just turn it off for some turn reason these guys gave us a platform and hey god yeah. damn it we're gonna use it no so. one ever really monitors us or tells us anything <laughs> so we just kind of just go with it and do what we kind of feel like basically i just kind of feel like you know what i'm gonna talk about politics here just so that when you know one of my friends comes up to me and says what are your thoughts on this i'll be like well you can go and listen to my podcast sir exactly, <laughs> yes. hundred and something episodes yeah. uh, very very well trailed yeah, yeah. People want to hear what Malikian has to say. <laughs> but first, but first, we've got some good news up for y'all, um, or some uh, some exclusive news stories. IHS Market is going to overhaul uh, its uh, derivatives nerve center, uh, its market serve um, platforms. It's going down the path of uh, cloud and specifically platform as a service offering. Um, the new platform is called TradeServe. It will eventually house MarketWire, uh, Market Trade Manager, um, Deal Hub, Deal well. Hub uh, DS Match. I mean, essentially, it's going to form the, the technology foundation for all of its yeah. uh, software and products, right? That's Interesting because they're underneath, you know, they, they announced that they will be selling. IHS Market has announced that, you know, MarketServe is on the market. Yeah. Um, so, but they're still going through this straight ahead, even as... Well, they have ever since they announced it. I mean, I remember uh, some of my colleagues on Risk sending me emails going, I thought I read in Waters that uh, market service was being sold, because I'm still getting press releases from, like, every other day about yeah. adding new functionality, and then we got a phone call from saying, hey, come in and talk to us about technology. Yeah. And we're like, you're doing all this, but you're still selling it? Yeah, they're um, not running lean, they're not running, uh, they're not uh, keeping low to the radar, or keeping underneath the radar, certainly. Well, yeah. Um, so... It's, it's, what, 2,600 words or something like that. So it's a really deep dive into um, this new offering, what will be ready on day one on September 10th, and what will come down the pike um, later on 2018 and on in 2019. Today, for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to focus a little bit on that 2019 piece and specifically the credit offering um, of the MarketServe uh, coverage. Yeah, the DS Match part of it, right? Yeah, DS Match. That is going to that will be rolled out alongside the DTCC's new trade information warehouse, which is being built, you know, using distributed ledger technology. Yeah, and for those who maybe haven't followed the story, uh, the TIW is essentially the post-processing 
utility in the industry for credit default swaps. It handles like ninety eight percent of, of yeah. trades, uh, so it's the kind of thing for it. Uh, and about I guess probably a couple of years back now, the DTCC said that they were going to replatform it. Um, yeah. They're going to make it blockchain. Um, they engaged Exony to help with it. IBM R three. Yeah, IBM's leading. Exony's building the actual uh, the 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 ledger and the uh, smart contracts, and R three is serving as a consultant. Yeah. But it kind of is the project that never ends, though, right? Yeah. I mean, even last year at Cybos, and now we're looking at Cybos happening again next month. Uh, you know, I spoke to the DTCC, and they said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty much there. It's built. It's going to be ready, you know, um, mid to, to late 2018. Um, yeah, well, when it was first announced in January 2017, they said, all right, by Q1 2018, that's when we want to go live. Ambitious. Yeah. But that was in 2017. Everybody thought that these projects were going to be, I don't know, for some reason, a lot easier than they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, if I have to write one more story of saying 2017 was the year of concepts, 2018 is the year of blockchain. Now it's going to be 2018 was the year of concepts. 2019 is when yes. it's going to happen. You know? um, yeah, 2018 was the year of delays. Yeah, exactly, uh, and then, yeah. so, yeah, Cybos, they told you, uh, who is it from uh, DTC? No, it was uh, Tony Freeman. Yeah. He was the said, uh, industry relations. Q4 2018. So that's been pushed back into, um, well, now they're saying the first half of 2019, though there is a rough uh, um, date of February yeah. uh, for the TI, the new TIW to go live. Though I would be, you know, quite frankly, I, you know, when you look at all the these lists, it's not just a DTCC. Um, this is every single blockchain platform that we've heard about in the industry. It's always an ambitious deadline that's set first, and everybody's over-delivering under, uh, yeah. or over-promising under-delivering. Kind I mean, of, they they got to really just be like, 2020, maybe, I don't know. Exactly, and that assumes nothing goes wrong in testing, which is a brand new yeah. technology, right? Something's going to go wrong. Well, we? and as you said, so this isn't just on the DTCC in any way. This will also, market still has to build out its functionality, its connections, and whether or not it can keep up with what the uh, DTC is doing, that will remain to be seen. And then there's also the industry. The industry's got to go through this. They're going to begin this testing process. They're hoping by the end, if it, I don't think it started yet, so I think by the end of this month, maybe next month. So industry testing will happen, and that will go into 2019. And then hopefully if everything goes as planned, then by February they'll be able to get, get off and running. But as you said, this is you know 98% of the market. It's a lot of testing that's got to be done. There's going to be a lot of bugs, a lot of hiccups. So it would be surprising uh, if it all goes off. Exactly, and it's got to work on day one. Yeah. Otherwise, the credit—I mean, the credit market's nowhere near as big as it used to be, um, but it's still pretty significant. So if that screws up, then you know it's not good. Yeah, um, and so there's, we also have a story on the DTCC's project and some of that the DTCC platform, blockchain platform scheduled for early 2019 launch, and then the IHS market overhauls derivatives yeah. nerd center. But at the same time, this is all happening. You had the Australian Securities uh, Exchange saying that their uh, new blockchain that they were hoping for a 2020 launch. They're now they've already said it'll be 2021 um, in a in a consulting paper that just came out uh, this week. So that's going to push back their fixed income clearing as well to yes. like 26 or something, I guess, or 25. Is that that. Yeah. Um, that's that's a long way away, and so and this is built on you know. Mia had that article, and we talked about this on, on um, the podcast previously, about so many of these projects, both the DTCCs itself has shelved the blockchain platform for uh, clearing purchase, uh, repurchase agreements, excuse me, uh, six securities services scrapped its securities processing project, while BNP Paribas paused its venture with Smart Angels. 
yeah. a lot of things JP Morgan yeah. let's set off its own division I think you know that kind yeah. of thing it was funny actually I mean I was thinking about this and the ASX has actually been pretty open about all its blockchain stuff like, yeah. way more open than anyone else I mean the words blood and stone come to mind when trying to get anything out of even the DTCC sure. who has also been pretty open with the sure. TRW but you know, refuses to comment on why it scrapped its repo plans. Yeah, yeah. they gave us a spokesperson, but, you know, here and there, just kind of a couple canned responses, but they didn't want to delve yeah. into it. Whereas the ASX has actually been pretty open about it. But, I mean, you know, it's it's tough to get any real information from people, especially about stuff that goes wrong. Yeah. Things, you know, it's, and how are you going to learn lessons if you don't talk about it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's a, that's a great point is, you know, right now there's, I don't know, because everybody's struggling with how to get these projects live and truly running. Mm. Everybody says, oh, yeah, we are alive, but it's on such a small scale. It, you know, we haven't really seen, you know, maybe 2019 will actually be the year of real, real, true, large-scale, you know, DLT projects that come to life and are actually running the market. But right now, it's a lot of internal stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so plenty of uh, blockchains and distributed ledgers are running internally. Um, but industry uh, platforms, stuff like that, you know, we're just not there yet. Yeah, it's not happening. And... Maybe this connects a little bit into, so James uh, went uh, for the September issue of Waters, profiled NASDAQ, and specifically Brad Peterson, the CIO and CTO, and Lars Ottersgaard, uh, head of market technology for NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. So that went live today. Maybe tell a little bit about, you know, just some of the interesting things that you found from that, but also some of the thoughts there on uh, blockchain. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So I think when I sat down to do that interview, um, I kind of had a thought about exactly what I wanted to cover, because NASDAQ's such a huge subject and sprawling. I thought, okay, well, I could go into the SIP, I could go into like low latency of matching engines and all that good stuff that we used to cover or have covered for years, or I could just try and focus on their approach to technology yeah. and kind of emerging tech. So that's what I decided to do. Cause I thought it'd be more as interesting. both an exchange and as a technology well, provider. Right, exactly, because right? this is the kind of weird thing about NASDAQ, right, in that you know a lot of exchanges, I think around 2010, 2011, had their vendor arm and they had their market operations yeah. arm so the LSE had Millennium MIT NYSE had NYSE Technologies um, you know CME was still providing technology through sort of GlobeWop and things like that as well um, and uh, over the course of I guess the subsequent decade in the post-crisis era a lot of those were pulled back either like when I bought NYSE they kind of pretty much asset stripped NYSE Tech and sold off what they didn't want like yeah. Wombat and things like that um, LSE recently you know decided to bring a lot of its technology in house um, so Millennium IT still exists, but it's kind of headed up as LSEG technology now. Sure. Um, I think it's Nigel Cairns that runs that. Um, and, you know, the CME doesn't really provide that much in the way of technology, not, at least not on the scale that it used to. But NASDAQ has still continued that model, and it seems to work for them. So I thought that was interesting to see kind of like the whys and wherefores. But what's germane to the conversation we were just having um, is... NASDAQ was a really kind of early adopter of blockchain, uh, like a kind of a proponent and enthusiast of it. Um, it partnered with Chain, um, and it had the first kind of issuance of a, a private share on a blockchain, mm-hmm. or one of the first, sorry, I get in trouble every time I say that. I get a phone call from Symbian saying, no, we were the first ones to do it. Um, and they were sort of, yeah, they were really kind of full on about it. I remember um, when I used to work at Dow Jones, we used to talk quite frequently with uh, some of the guys there about it. Um, when I was talking to... Um, to Lars and to Magnus Hagland, um, his kind of right-hand man, um, they were surprisingly kind of non-committal about it this time. They were just like, well, look, I mean, we see, we think it will have an impact in the industry, and we think it will have a tremendous impact in some areas. Um, is it going to live up to the hype? 
Um, probably not. You know, yeah. essentially, that's what he said. I, yeah, I can't remember quite. Probably a bit uh, exaggerated. Probably a bit exaggerated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that was interesting. And that's was, fair. Yeah, it is fair, hundred percent. And it's kind of what our approach is to it, right? You know, yeah, it is going to have an impact, but it's not going to cure cancer. You yeah. Know? Um, but to hear Nasdaq actually just come out and say that boldly the first time, like, yeah, you know, and you know, a company that has sunk as much resource into blockchain as Nasdaq has. By the way, I'm pretty sure there are some healthcare providers that say that it will help to one day cure cancer. But yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> and revolutionize the dental industry if you yeah. get all this press release from Dentacoin. But um, yeah, to actually have them come out and say, look, you know, we've looked at it and yeah, there are some discrete applications, but it's not going to change the world it was actually really interesting. And it's like a new kind of sober reality, I think, that everyone's got into now blockchain and it's kind of disappeared from the headlines quite a lot. The sexiest stuff out there now, like artificial intelligence, which everyone writes about, and quantum and things like that. Um, it's kind of lost a bit of its uh, a bit of its kind of a cachet as a fashion icon, I think. Sure. Um, and that's probably a good thing for it, you know. Yeah. It's you know the, from some of the stuff that we've written about the the actual successful projects, and, and you wrote about BNP Paribas doing something in corporate actions last year, I think. Yep. Um, those definitely have uh, have legs, but um, yeah. The all singing, all dancing blockchain era is yeah. over, I think. So twenty, if we're going to put it another way, from what we talked about before, twenty eighteen, I think, was the the year of sort of rational, sober discussion. And yeah. twenty nineteen is when blockchain really reaches maturity, I think. Yeah. So yeah, from hype to maturity, is correct. Exactly, yeah, you know, exactly. is probably the way that we're looking at it. So yeah, um, those are some things we're going to be covering. Um, that we got a lot of good stuff up there on the website waterstechnology.com, In case you are new to the Waters Wavelength podcast. Yep. Um, so go check those out. We also have links in the story itself that you can uh, just click on and check out. So now this week has been a week of stupid, right? It's been... It's tested my faith in humanity a little bit, actually. Just a bit, had the, it's, it's really saying something you consider how nuts these past couple of years have been. But this week was just especially just... Bonkers. Well, I think that the reason why it was so bonkers is because it was from the supposed adults. As well. Yeah. <laughs> the the but, people you actually respect and trust. It's, before we even get into like some of the... Because there are three things that James and I specifically want to hit on. And again, please feel free to turn... If, if this is just not your cup of tea, you know, obviously, hopefully you've already turned it off. But, you know, we're, we like to think that we can come at things. James is uh, lefty. Yeah. I'm a righty. Um, conservative, uh, not uh, a Trumper in any way, though. Um, usually we bash Trump policies, stuff like that, on this as far as free trade, um, uh, immigration, things like that. Stuff that do kind of loosely affect our uh, the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. This one is just a stupid week. And this one, honestly, I'm going to take task the left, the, the broader left. Um, but let's, let's go through a couple of the, the couple stories that we just don't really have time to get to. First, we had um, people burning their Nikes. This one was on the right and the left. You had people burning their Nikes, uh, Nike clothes, because of a commercial, because they were so brainwashed that they think that this kneeling that with Colin Kaepernick, uh, these protests that these football players are doing and some other athletes are doing, are protests of the flags and troops, because that's what some people brainwash them to believe it is, as opposed to a protest of police brutality. Yeah, That whole message has been lost. And then... So you have people burning their expensive clothes. And then you have, on the other side, just as bad, or not equal, whatever, I don't know, it's some, somewhere in the, in the spectrum, you have others who are hailing Nike as being this, putting this cause ahead of profits. Are you 
insane that what an idiotic thought that is the greatest exploiters of the third world (laughs) people have people you know as chris rock said what is it uh showing shoes with their teeth or whatever this is not they they did a cost benefit analysis Mm. and mind you for two years they did this because they said they were paying colin kaepernick and they didn't want to put their voice in anywhere before funny that this commercial comes out the week of the launch of the nfl season yeah I'm sorry that they are profit driven. They they looked at this and they said that this cause will make them money. Um, so I have no problem with Colin Kaepernick. You know who had no other great. You know you do you. That's great. So you just had both sides that were just. No, it's just nuts. You, you had the left that's somehow holding up this giant multinational corporation that exploits labor, championing them. You have the right vilifying uh one of our you know biggest companies in america private co- you know not a public company but um you know a, a, a individually cutting the tops of their socks off and yeah. their shorts and, yeah. they, and they call the left snowflakes yeah, exactly. i mean jesus you know, exactly yeah. so you had that okay let's move past that you had i didn't get his last name uh, jeffrey uh i can't remember his last name he played alvin on the cosby show 1980s some woman goes in uh to i think it was trader joe's sees him working there takes a picture of him Send it to the Daily Mail, I think, and to Fox News, and they run stories that kind of just make fun of this guy, even though he's just got a job. Also, what did you expect Alan from the Cosby Show to be? Did you expect yeah. him to be like this multimillionaire? Like, Leave the what else alone. did you see? Yeah, he's a working man. Yeah, he's got a job. He's, he's, be happy that this man has got a job. He's going out there and he's working. It, it, what, I mean, this is an age old. It's story, almost like right? they want him on welfare. It's which again, well, exactly because welfare well, is somehow res- more respectable than working in a store, right? Jesus. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, this is the age old like class thing though of like people looking down on people's occupations. Yep. Oh, you flip burgers. Yeah, you're not worth anything. Yeah. Oh, you 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 sling drinks at a bar. Yep. Oh, and what it are makes, you loser? And, uh, yeah. So you had that stupidity. You have uh, the new Neil Armstrong movie um, coming out <laughs> yeah, uh, where they don't show Neil Armstrong planting the American flag. And Ryan Gosling says, and I love Ryan Gosling. He's just a dreamy man and a great actor. But he says, the wonderful man. I don't think, uh, what do you say? I don't think Neil viewed himself as an American hero. Well, maybe he, he wasn't egotistical enough to say I'm an American hero. But if anybody thinks that us landing on the moon, us, America landing on the moon was not a response to the Cold War. That Neil Armstrong, a decorated naval pilot, was not gung ho about America and doing this for America. Because let's not forget these astronauts were all soldiers. Yeah, you have <laughs> no idea about American history. Yeah, all right. I mean, so, the, I think there is. I, th- I understand the point that Gosling was trying to make. I think because there was something around uh, Neil Armstrong's speech i think you know mm-hmm. the, the one small step for man yeah, thing one, apparently he changed it at the last minute because it was supposed to be one small step for america or something like yeah. that and he changed it at the last minute to encompass all of mankind and everyone now hails him as this big kind of you know yeah. borderless hero but he's not but this is it? also the the problem there is just like he did history shows and we have proof unless you believe it was staged mm. that he does plant the american flag and it is one of the most iconic moments that you can possibly have from Neil Armstrong and the moon landing. It's still there. Yeah. You can go up there and find it. <laughs> or it's in a soundstage in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you had that stupidity. You had Politico. I don't know if you saw this one. This one had me quite. This was last week, I think it was. Oh, uh, well, this No, no, this is this weekend, I think. They actually put together an article that basically made the case that Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh started his slide into extremism because he was distraught that the Buffalo Bills were losing the Super Bowl and it was all falling apart. 
that's the first like four paragraphs of this. So I, I couldn't I I couldn't keep going. I, really? That's what the, the yeah. hypothesis was. So that's these are just a couple of things. Again, we've spent a couple minutes. Now let's go into some of the. There are three things that Tim and I, uh, Tim, James. Sorry, we this this uh, podcast has been brought to you by Ithaca Flower Power, a delicious <laughs> Indeed, IPA, yes, yeah. seven and a half percent. So, that, you want to start with the Kavanaugh hearings? Yeah, let's do that because let's get out of the way. Because I mean, this I think we both agree on how yes. just absolutely stupid this whole thing is, mm-hmm. um, and the reasons why and wherefore I'll get into. But first of all. It's a confirmation hearing for the goddamn Supreme Court. Show some respect. Yes. Don't start screaming in the middle of it and having to be dragged out. Yes. 70 arrests. You might not like the guy, but have some respect for the institution and the process, yeah. right? Let them make their arguments. The the senators are there to do that job, to eviscerate them, not you. And then it's, when you start turning it into this protest, this theatrical thing for the, te- the, the cameras, well, then the politicians are only going to up their game because yeah. that's what they are, is just politicians. Well, and ultimately, this is game. it. I mean, the, this whole thing has been an advert for Kamala Harris and for Cory Booker for their, upcoming, Booker. Uh, for their upcoming primary campaigns. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what it's been. Cory so. Booker going out there, literally invoking Spartacus to himself. <laughs> this is my Spartacus moment. Yeah, my Spartacus moment. <laughs> okay, Corey. <laughs> Saying that he had this courage to release these documents or else, and I'm going to risk getting kicked out of the Senate, even though that they were fully approved and, the and were allowed like, to. We cleared that this and, morning, yeah, buddy. It was, it was all cleared. His office knew about it. He did not do anything that was that special. But you know what the stupid thing is? It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter one job because now he's a hero to those kind of people who yeah. just read that bit of the story oh, and don't just, follow up on it. Oh, so. I'm still seeing like hashtag courage and this is what courage looks like. No, this is what grandstanding looks like. This is what turning a Supreme Court hearing process yeah. into a circus looks like. That's what it looks like. It looks like Cory yeah, freaking Cory Booker. Booker saying, hey, guess what, guys? I'm running for president. I, this is it. So well, at least Kamala Harris... Um, actually, like, had Kavanaugh off balance, and she, you could tell she used to be a, a DA yeah. and that kind of thing. And she was actually asking quick, I mean, okay, yeah, sure. Most of the jurisprudential heavy lifting was done by uh, by the senior Democrats, mm-hmm. you know, by, by firemen and people like that, because um, they have the experience to do that. Yeah. But she was actually pretty good. I was watching her, and she was, like, really, like, like a prosecution yeah. um, hearing, essentially, just carrying on asking the same questions again and again in different yep. ways, you know, tripping them up and that kind of thing. And that, well, I think that there's just this general. There's not the, the the general public doesn't have a true understanding as to how the Supreme Court works, how the nomination process works. They don't understand the history behind it, and I'm a, I'm certainly not an expert, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I've read, you know, Jeffrey Tubin, who probably hates all the arguments that I'm making right now. But you know, I gotta respect him to 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 the earth uh, to the end of his earth. He's absolutely incredible. But anyway, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the one who really started this. I'm not going to answer any sort of hypotheticals. I'm not going to. These are all hypothetical. I'm not going to. That's what she did. Lena Kagan, if you put the, the Kavanaugh's testimony and uh, Q&As right next to Lena Kagan's, you will not find a difference in those two things. And then we're going to say, but she released 100% of the documents, stuff like that. Again, you have to understand that Kavanaugh does come from the Bush White House. Whether or not you think that a Supreme Court nominee should come from um, from you should have been part of uh, uh, a president's uh, a team, 
Okay, but uh, just remember that a former president you, was named to become uh, on the Supreme exactly. Court in the nineteen in the twentieth century. And if you're not okay with that, then you can't be okay with judges being elected on political tickets. Exactly. I'm sorry. It's as simple exactly. as that. Ju- the judiciary is inherently politicized. Yes. It's what happens. Yeah. And also on that point of um, Kagan and, and uh, RBG's um, uh, no comment sort of platform. Everyone who criticizes this, I guarantee you they don't actually know any lawyers or judges in real yes. life. Like, if you speak to somebody who has gone through law school, who has practiced law, has served on the bench and all this, they see things through the lens of the law, which is black and which is white. And there is only one way to see an issue, and which that's is through the legality want. of it. Yeah. This is it. My wife's a lawyer. Like, and I, the amount of arguments I have with her where I just like, keep saying, can you please just see some nuance in this argument here? And she's just like, but it's illegal. Or, but that's not the process and that kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, but look at the moral morality behind it. She's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, this is literally the thing. And, and like, if you listen to this, honey, then why? First of all, and secondly, uh, no, I love you. But, uh, he but, only speaks highly of you exactly. at the bar, trust uh, of me. Of course, yeah. But jurists, like, literally see things through the lens of the law. And they're not going to answer hypothetical because a hypothetical is encumbered by the law. Yeah. They see things through process and they see things through precedent. Yes. And that's, it's not sinister and it's not yeah. unbecoming. And also his, as you said, you know, he worked for... The White House, like yeah. a lot of the stuff that you can't release, it's probably covered by like Secrecy Act and things like that. And what we're seeing here with the Kavanaugh hearings is how, on both the left and the right, and um, Senator Ben Sass, who I know, I, 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 I kind of have this like little love affair, I think, with yeah, him, but it's, 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 <laughs> a, little, a little man crush there, I guess. I'm amazed you haven't actually got a framed picture from yeah. your desk at this point. <laughs> Just, Good night, Ben. What should uh, I do, Ben? <laughs> should, I, should I publish a story? Should yeah, I really I'm gonna write get a that? WW, uh, <laughs> what would that be, <laughs> I'm going to get you one of those bands. They must exist. Yeah. So, it just goes to show you how the legislative branch, which is by design supposed to be the most powerful branch of government because of through checks and balances. Through, hey, what was that? Sorry. Party poppers. Um, they're, they're, they're ceding this power that they have just so that they can, like literally you had Cory Booker sending out um, an email while he was up, on his, so his office putting out um, a Donation email, yeah, yeah, exactly. Try a fundraising email. It's like while he's, while this he's is a confirmation hearing. What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, come this, on, have some respect again. Have some respect, have some for, some the respect for the process. You want the president to have respect for the office? I completely agree, and he does not. Well, you know, you also should be setting an example yourselves here. Yeah. So we, the legislative branch, and this has been because of the right certainly has certainly started. The left is now falling into the same trap, and we are really just splitting into. Just uh, this is just a, a, a another example uh, of how we are just moving away into our own little tribes, into our own little teams, yep. and that's how civil wars get created essentially. Well, days after McCain's funeral, where he gave that eulogy that everyone you know lost their shit about, and was just like, "Oh, this is a great kind of uh, you know thing for America. We should stop this bipartisan you know bickering. Yeah. Let's reach across the aisle." What do you do two days later? It's like probably the most intense. Example of uh, bipartisan picking I've ever seen yep. in a, uh, a political hearing. And I'm happy you brought up McCain. Yeah. That, that's going to transition us. Okay, that's going to transition us into the New York Times yep. publishing the resistance from inside the White House anonymously. Oh, God. Yeah. So hopefully you all know what this is already. You, know, you heard, but you know, that there was um, a senior member, we have no idea, who could lose his job just so people also not understanding civics. Um, the only way that a vice president can lose his job, he can't be fired by the president. He can only resign um, but, uh, his office. Uh, same thing as the president. Um, you don't fire these people by design. Yeah, there is a reason for this. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. So he wrote this, this or, and the New York Times let it slip that it is a he, wrote 
and and that was an- terrible as well actually yes yeah, that yeah. was massive slip up that he wrote this anonymous thing self-aggrandizing himself and his resistance folks who are basically staging a treasonous coup and i do agree with this yeah. when when you have while it might make me happy to know that there are some checks and balances in there it's also that's that's how banana republics truly get created uh, again, i mean was i the only one who was reading this and thinking i understood how he's trying to put himself in this saying listen we're just we're running out of smooth edges and we're making this i was don't like worry no, about it. we got it actually you're cherry picking the policies you like and you don't like and yes. you're actively sabotaging the ones you don't like yep. like and what's to stop you from stop being so morally superior yep. to now then sabotaging something that people do care yep. about you know yep. this is not how governments are supposed to run no you work for the president. You took an oath. You swore an oath to you know, defend the Constitution and do all this. And if you think this is defending the Constitution, it's not. It's act- actively undermining the system of government. It's- I'm going to read uh, David French from National Review. And I know some of you lefties out there go, <gasps> no, I read National this. Review. I read this and this is great. My actually. God, how dare. Yeah. Listen, listen to a couple paragraphs I'm going to cherry pick from here, but the whole column was absolutely sensational. It's from an open letter to New York Times anonymous senior Trump administration official. Quote, let's put this as bluntly as possible. If you're actively defying the president to pursue your own preferred policies, you're subverting an American presidential election. If you're withholding from the American people actual hard evidence of presidential unfitness, then you're placing your own career before your country. If you're lying or badly exaggerating the facts for the thrill of constant media contact, uh, uh, contact or the approval of your peers, then you're just despicable. And this last paragraph, to get us back to McCain, it gave me chills. Quote, I find it ironic that you saw fit to invoke the memory of Senator John McCain in your Times piece. Whatever you think of McCain's ideology, no reasonable person can deny his courage. He flew into a storm of missiles. He was tortured. He refused early release. He was one of many heroes in our nation's history who laid their lives on the line to defend its ideals. Yet even as you invoke the kind of patriots whose blood waters the tree of liberty, you infect it with the rot of your cowardice. Are you inspired by McCain? Then show one-tenth his courage. And that's the cure, cowardice. This, yeah. is, this is moral cowardice. Yeah. If this man truly cared about these things rather than thinking... Oh God, Woodward's book is really going to fuck me. I'm going to back myself up yeah. just in time for, you know, so I can come back when the the Nuremberg trials begin and I can say, <laughs> hey, I was the guy who wrote the op-ed. That's fine. Um, if you were actually had the courage of your convictions to sign up for this, you would come out in public and say, I have been sabotaging President Trump's administration because I am deeply concerned he's unbalanced and I saw no other way to do it. Put your name on it yep. and resign publicly from and, that, and then face the music and face the music or. As a or, patriot does. you don't write a goddamn op-ed in the New York Times. You go to Robert Mueller and you say this is what has been happening inside yes. the administration. And then he's going to charge you because he has to because yep. he's a prosecutor. But you give him the firepower to then either uh, begin in, uh, introduce impeachment proceedings or invoke the 25th, 25th Amendment. Amendment yeah. You know, that kind of thing. That's what you do. You don't write an anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. And the New York Times yeah. does not publish an anonymous op-ed on the same. What thing, the so. hell was they And all these... All, all my lefty friends that were saying this is the greatest thing, I just want you to remember this moment that you're saying this because there will be eventually, I would imagine, a Democrat in the White House yep. at some point in the future. Hopefully, otherwise we've lost all semblance of sanity in this country and this won't be the United States of America anymore. There will be a Democrat in office whom 
you're going to like his his ideas, but there's going to be a large part of the country that does not like his ideas. Are you going to be cool with these kind of anonymous things being published yeah. in the Wall Street Journal as opposed to the New York Times? No, you're going to call it. You're going to be the little hypocrite that you always talk about the Tea Party and the Republican and the conservatives being. You're, you're you're feeding into that. Call a spade a spade. When when you see hypoc when you see, you do not allow as the New York Times, the paper of record. Yeah. How even if it is Mike Pence who comes to you and says, "This is me. I wrote this," which. I, I would bet any amount that's not Mike Pence. Maybe it's a speechwriter. Maybe it's somebody close to Pence. I understand Lodestar. You know, it's our new rosebud of uh, this generation. You do not publish that because all it did was feed confusion. It No one now knows what the hell is truth. This is George Orwell, 1984. This is starting to create the seeds of doubt through our... This is nuts, isn't it? And this wasn't anything newsworthy in it. Bob Woodward's book had all of this Bob in there. Bob Woodward's book Gary was... Cohn, who's probably his main source, and let's be honest, was literally talking about swiping things from Trump's desk yeah. because he didn't want him to blow up about it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know... And that's why this... That, that's really why I think this was published. Yeah. The, the New York Times saw the Washington Post, Bob Woodward... Yeah, doing it going, again. You know, yeah, just you know. going and doing a reporter's job. Not a Michael Wolf job or whatever, but everybody has job. anonymous. The New York Times always publishing anonymous source from inside the White House. Why are you giving this one guy this great voice? That's insane. It's nuts. It's it, it's it's anti-democratic. It's 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 really, it's unpatriotic it, as well. So it fans the flames for fake news because this well, does allow does, the people yeah. at, like say fake news. Well, this isn't news, folks, but we are pretending like it is news. Well, you know what it does as well. It gives Trump the excuse now to have a absolute pogrom. Inside the State Department, mm-hmm. inside the White House, inside everywhere else where he has holdouts he couldn't get rid of. Now he's like, well, I don't know which one of you it is, so I'm going to get rid of all of you, and I'm going to replace you with my people yep. now. And this is it. So, well done. You screwed it all up. Not only that, you also set a precedent for the future precedent. where the staff of the White House doesn't necessarily have to follow the president. Yep. Um, if I was Robert Mueller, I'd be like, I'm going to put you in jail now for this. Yep. Um, give me all of your evidence, and then I'm going to put you in jail. So. It's- it's absolutely insane. And again, precedence, folks. Remember Obama with all the executive orders and yep. we were okay with that? You don't like it when Trump does it, right? Yep. These things called precedent do matter. Yep. Which is going to bring me now to my third thing of the left. This is where we're going to disagree. Okay, so, yeah. good. This is where I believe that the left is just really going down this. They want to be as much of fascists that shut out voices and and ideas and opinions as much as anybody. And yes, it's easy to start with somebody like Steve Bannon. Yes, we're talking about the New Yorker Festival. So New Yorker is going to hold a fe- it is holding a festival. Mm-hmm. And it was going to have David Remnick, the editor of the New Yorker, and one of the great journalistic minds of of this generation. Which is actually why Bannon agreed to that interview as well, because yeah. he said, I'm going to go up against one of the greatest talents in, on the left in journalism, Yeah, and this is what I want to do. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. And they were going to go and have it out. And um, in his... So this was in a note he wrote that... Um, where he eventually said that, this is why I'm not doing it. But he said... Um, the point of the interview, so this is um, Remnick saying it, uh, the point of the interview, a rigorous interview, particularly in a case like this, is to put pressure on the views of the person beca- uh, of the views being of the person being questioned. That's what we should want. And I think Bannon is despicable. I think he's one of the worst. And just to, if, in case you missed it, uh, the, the Bannon got dropped because of yes, protests sorry. by uh, the other guests, by Jim Carrey, by 
a bunch uh, of other people Apto, as well. Apto, yeah. So um, they would all pull out, and Pat also and Oswald, the New Yorker's own staff as well. Were just like yeah. beyond the Schultz, which is one. Of, she's one of the. She wrote probably the greatest magazine article I ever read. The the next big one. Oh, that um, was great. The Pulitzer yeah, winner. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't believe that she was on that board too. Um, but yeah, go on. Um, I've lost one. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, let me go. I'll ramble on here a little bit. So mm-hmm. just so you know, everybody's and everybody's chimney. Yes, good, good call. The Economist is still gonna. The Economist on September fifteenth is also holding a similar festival. And um, Zanny Minton Vito uh, said, "Again, that name. I always get that name screwed up." But the EIC of uh, of the Economist said. Our premise has been that progress is best achieved when ideas are tested in open debate. And by the way, they are going to still have Steve Bannon on and they're going to grill Steve Bannon up on stage. And pointing to the fact that he was in the Donald Trump White House, he's become the leading voice of the far right. And more and more elections in Europe are going to be um, are being fanned by the flames of this Bannon movement of the far right. And so. uh wrote, uh, the future of open societies will not be secured by like-minded people speaking to each other in an echo chamber, but by subjecting ideas and individuals from all sides to rigorous questioning and debate. This will expose bigotry and prejudice just as it will reaffirm and refresh liberalism. All right, no, I, I disagree right. with that entirely. This is a cheap excuse that's used by somebody who wants a better um, speaker at an event, and it's been used... By universities inviting people like Nick Griffin, who led the British National Party, which was the the British like Nazi party, essentially. Mm-hmm. The far-right party, the respectable face of it. Having him in university debating panels, having people like David Sterling, the historian, who denies the Holocaust ever took place, and that kind of thing, saying, well, we need to, you know, the best disinfectant is the light of day. We need to bring these people out in the open. We need to debate them. We need to uh, tear down their ideas in public. It never changes. You know why? Because they're racists. And at the end of the day, Steve Bannon is a white ethno-nationalist. Mm-hmm. He is a neo-Nazi who goes around Europe courting people like Marine Le Pen, who runs the Front National, sure. the French Party. He's based himself in Italy right now. He's doing this all around there. Victor Orban from Hungary. Um, the uh, the various other sort of Italian uh, fascist parties, such as the Five Star Party, I think they're called. Um, and he is a full believer in this idea that the white state uh, is the ideal state mm-hmm. and he is organizing these parties into an efficient force to do so now i understand the argument and this isn't a new debate again i understand the argument that there is freedom of speech and that we should debate these as a torrent open democratic society however you have to draw the line at some point when somebody seeks to exclude that right of freedom of speech from another group of people, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on religion, whether it's based on sexuality, whatever, mm-hmm. they then lose that right to have their freedom of speech heard because it's divisive, because it's exclusionist. You have to operate within limits within a democratic society. You can't just say what you want and then have it legitimized, regardless of where you, whether you serve the high levels of government or not. You cannot have it legitimized with people like the New Yorker who will put them on stage, treat them as an equal, even as David Remnick probably eviscerates them on stage. It's not going to change Bannon's mind, and it's not going to change the fundamental argument as ideas, which are based in hatred. They're not based in rational thought. But all right, so let me then ask you this: This is uh, a, um, a journalistic enterprise, The New Yorker. This is just yeah. an event that is put on. Same thing with The Economist. In the last six months, here are a list of some of the uh, publications that have 
both prominently quoted or profiled straight mm-hmm. up Steve Bannon just in the last six months. And so he hasn't done anything over the last six months that's any bit more crazy than it's been for him over the last yeah, few years. he's just given a lot of interviews. Huh? GQ, yep. the New York Times, yep. Reuters, the Washington Post, the BBC, CNN, the National Interest, Daily Beast, New York Magazine, Politico, and many others. This is I'm getting, I'm also uh, pinching a little bit there from uh, Jack Schaefer, who I'm going to quote here in a little bit from who mm. is part of Politico. Yeah, probably. Um, if he is still worthy enough to be treated as a voice in these very prominent stories about Trump and other elections in Europe, if he's still considered to be a good source that can be put into the New Yorker, into the New York Times, into the Guardian, into the BBC. How then can we say he's a good enough voice for these stories, but also we can't have him up on the stage, stage yeah. of the same entity I, I that's agree. running the event? I agree. It's completely nonsensical. And actually, The Intercept uh, had, I think, the best piece on this. Okay. And they, they said exactly that. Okay. Um, they said, you know, he's been quoted. They gave the list of all the places he's been quoted in. Um, and they said, this is the problem that happens, and it particularly happens with liberal journalists covering the far right, when they conflate the necessary need to confront the idea um, and to report accurate on it with giving it too much air of publicity and too much oxygen. The fact of the matter is that Bannon was, is a neo-fascist, is a leader in the alt-right, was a senior government official for a few months uh, until he got kicked out for various reasons. So if you want to ask, if you're doing an article on what happened in the Trump White House during that period, it's perfectly acceptable to interview Steve Bannon about that because he was there. And he talks about it. And that's what Michael Wolff did quite famously in that little passage where he uh, talks about how Mueller brought on board a big anti-money laundering official. Um, and uh, apparently Bannon was just like, wow, my ass, I was getting so tight now. Jared, you're screwed, that kind of thing. Yeah, That's the important kind of colour you get from interviewing someone like Steve Bannon. What you don't get any benefit from, and this is what the New York Times have done, it's what Politico's done, it's what GQ have done, all these other people, is given the same questions to him again and again, allowed him to espouse this poisonous, toxic worldview that he has again and again, and given it the air of publicity. And through them, same with the op-ed uh, thing, the sheen of legitimization for something that's fundamentally flawed and should not be aired. Yeah. And in the same way as the New Yorker, I mean, I don't think the way that the New Yorker went about taking Bannon off it was the right way to yeah. do it. I think Remnick and... Which, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that yeah. in a second. Um, but I do think the decision itself not to give him a platform, and I believe in no platform for fascists. That's yeah. something I've believed in since uh, my very brief flirtation with student politics. Punch a Nazi in the face, absolutely. Exactly. As you've said many times Punch a Nazi in the, in the face. face. <laughs> or just like don't give him a goddamn microphone, yeah. you know, because no good's going to come out of it. These people don't have any ability to debate properly. You cannot I debate a bigot. You know? I agree with you that maybe... Well, I don't, I don't know so that's how I know that I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think that as long as Bannon is such a prominent figure um, still in all these political elections as these you know as he was part of the president's uh, team uh, key advisor, I would still even bet that he's sending him a couple emails or yeah he's walked like back yeah. his vow yeah. to destroy Trump hasn't he no, um, I, I do think that the way through this bad period is. Just like um, in, in the book, Team of Rivals, Doris Kearns Goodwin about uh, um, uh, Seward and Lincoln and just that whole group is through rigorous debate where we disagree, but we keep on having these debates until we actually get to a point. There's got to be light at the end of this tunnel. We can't keep on going in the direction we're going. And But I guess to the point of the way that the New Yorker did this and handled this at the end, the way that Remnick backed down, which yeah. bothered me. Um, 
is uh, so this again this is from uh, uh jack schaefer at politico uh is bannonism so contagious and corrosive that it must be suppressed if you really fear bannon's thoughts isn't it better to allow a mind like remnicks to dissect and refute them rather than trying to no platform them into oblivion uh, as new yorker writer malcolm Gladwell put it in a tweet i would have thought that the point of a festival of ideas was to expose the audience to ideas if you only invite your friends over it's called dinner party now i do understand what you're saying this guy is an extremist that does not need to be invited to his fest. These ideas don't need to be exposed. But the way that they backed out simply because Twitter started going online, and you know, I am not the uh, the biggest fan of uh, of uh, Brett Stevens' uh, columnist for the New York Times, but as uh, he writes, as Remnick acknowledged, members of his own staff also always. Oh, uh, it's just an astonishing statement that. We back down simply because Twitter flipped out. If people had said, I disagree with this, I don't like this. But then on Twitter, all these celebrities that were going to be at this yeah, event, not interviewed stuff. by yeah. Remnick, not on these big-time political discussions, just having conversations up on stage, as the New Yorker does because they cover everything, they back down simply because celebrities on Twitter freak the freak out. And that's not the way that free that's, speech works. That is not the way no. that media and an independent me, uh, journalistic entity should act. That was cowardice, in my opinion. No, I agree. And I think the way it went about it was wrong. Let's come back to the previous point quickly, just yes. about Bannon's profile. Sure. I've got an interesting question for you. Bannon quit the White House, went back to Breitbart, mm-hmm. got shit canned from Breitbart. How much do you think Bannon has a profile right now? Or how much do you think he would have were it not being inflated by being quoted in the New York Times and being given this air of oxygen? Do you think he would have any kind of profile whatsoever? The reason why these far-right groups want to court him is because he's a big player. Sure. He gets quoted in these things. He gets the venture. Do you think that he would have this much of an impact and effect if he had just been an eight-month strategic advisor who got canned, um, who was a two-bit journalist and before And then he's that? yelling at clouds, but and we just stopped interviewing because he's We just stopped paying attention yep. to the old yep. Or are we giving him the oxygen of publicity to yes. do this? Absolutely. This is the thing. So, and again, yeah. I am all for the journalists stop being lazy and go into a good sound guy. Yeah. You know, we have plenty of guys that we all know in just our little circle here, you know, just of covering technology that, you know, some people like, oh shit, I just need something on something and be like, yeah, go out to this person. And they'll, they'll always talk on the record, this professor, this, um, this vendor, this, whatever, they'll always talk on this kind of thing. Great. Hmm. So you know that that exists and you have to, as a journalist, as a professional responsible journalist, you have to stop going to the same source that yeah. is just going to say the same Stuff, but you know it's going to be good for a soundbite, and Bannon knows it's good for a soundbite. And as you said, he knows that he keeps his face in the public sphere. Yeah. But also, the New Yorker, by canceling him, rather than just have him go up on stage, and nobody would have known about it, quite frankly. That event would have went off. He would have said some stuff. Remnick would have killed him. People that follow politics would have followed it and would have been, you know, yeah. the people that were there, they would have been engaged and had something and would have been awesome to watch Remnick. I would love to sit in that Re- audience Remnick and is, watch is Remnick. probably the finest journalist of yeah. our generation. I would have so, loved yeah. to have watched him just tear apart. So us that pay attention to that, but none of the Trumpers were going to go to the New Yorker festival. No. So, But and, and now by canceling this, they've given Bannon now this deity level, oh, this yeah. persecuted oh, no, deity. He's a martyr, and he, he's handled yes. it very well. He just said gutless, and he yeah. hasn't ranted yeah. and raved about it or anything yeah. like that. He's just quietly accepted it, and he looks like uh, he looks like he's been censored. He looks like, yeah. which he has, right? I mean, yeah. of course. So let's call a spade a spade, right? He has yeah. been censored for whatever reason, good or bad you think it is. But he's allowed to now play it like he's a victim. Yep. Somehow, like this Nazi is a victim yep. for not being allowed to go on stage and espouse his poison yeah. to the world. 
Um, there was a, I mean, from the Constant point of view, of course, uh, there was something in one of those articles, I think it was a political one, where he said, um, at, at which audience are you worried about him infecting? Because, I mean, the people who are going to go to the New Yorker Festival are going to be like left-leaning liberals, probably, yeah. and that kind of thing. But, um, no, I think the New Yorker has done itself to service hugely by this. And yeah. also, I disagree with people like Jim Carrey and Patton Oswalt being allowed to determine a newspaper's editorial sure. policy. Like, where exactly. does that come in as a thing? Exactly. The fact that David Remnick was just shot down because Jimmy Fallon, who tousled you know, Trump's hair. He's going to be the one that's going to get to have yeah. a say in Remnick. David freaking Remnick. Well, people like Trevor Noah, who, yeah, okay, he eviscerated Tommy Lauren on a show, but then he went for beers with her afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like, um, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's ridiculous. But this is my whole point, is you're not going to change these people. Yeah. It's like, you know, getting eviscerated on stage, fine. Yeah, you might be able to argue the finer points of policy with a rational person and tear their view down yeah. or whatever. But when it comes to something as irrational as, as ethno-nationalism or racism or xenophobia, you can't debate that. That's someone's ingrained personal beliefs. And they can. the worst thing, actually, it ends up being counterproductive because not only do you try and tear down someone's personal beliefs and they use that as a shield, but the smart people like Bannon, and Bannon is smart, like yeah. what people say, he will be able to talk his way around it in such a way that he never says, I don't like black people or I hate Jews or whatever. He'll be able to suggest it to the people who are looking out for that and listening to it. But he'll be able to say it in a very reasonable, very calm way that makes uh, people like Remnick look like he's out to get him and he has an agenda. And then Bannon looks like he's won. Yeah, so. it's just, you know, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen, you know, Gore Vidal debate, you know, Joe oh, McCarthy sure. back yeah, in yeah. the day. I would have loved to have gotten to see, because I would imagine this would have been put up on YouTube or on New York Times or New Yorker's um, channel, uh, online channel uh, website, it's called. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I would have loved to have been able to see that, you know, because that's, I want Bannon to be him being exposed by Remnick. It's not just I don't want him going on a tour in every single media because not every yeah. not everybody has a David Remnick in their arsenal. But again, though, what's Remnick going to expose? Steve Bannon is a racist. You have me know that. Like, sure. Steve Bannon is a fascist. You have me know that. So I was, like, but you know. as a man that still has Remnick wanted it. I wanted to see what Remnick could do with it. And there is that kind of that visceral impulse, like yeah. that you and me have as being natural opponents of the kind of ideology that, that Steve sure. Bannon has. We want to see him made to look like a small child, and we want to see him burst into tears on stage. Because not think only that'll do that will happen, just make no, no. him just be. I'm just, hyperbolizing yeah. for the sake of it, but you know what I mean. Like we want we want to see him his tower being brought low, essentially. Yeah. Um, we want to do that not just because we disagree with him, but because it also validates our belief as well, that we're right in terms of the way we but view the think about it, so. me and you are both on two ends of the political spectrum as well. Yeah. And fairly, you know, opposite ends, especially like you, you listen to James and I talk about some stuff at uh, the White Horse in, uh, on Bridge Street. Yeah. Say Tommy, say Tommy, Tony sent you. Uh, you listen <laughs> to us talk. We disagree and we, we will, sometimes I start yelling and stuff like that because that's just when I get my yeah, Irish. Sorry, I start yelling. Um, but I think that there is something to be said for it this guy, because of the fact that he's still so out there, and because he's still being interviewed by everybody, I guess, um, so it is a double-edged sword here, um, having some people that will be in the middle, there will be some, there are going to be some conservatives that are going to show show up at this thing, yeah. that can listen to him and say, those are good points. These are points that I can start to make to other people. We start passing around good ideas, good points. We start, we start, you start in the center, you know, the, the people are in the center right, center left, they start having these good points they're making hopefully we're doing it right now folks yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> and that starts to spread it, it 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 builds it builds it builds and it takes a long time but that's what i would hope out of it that's what i that's why i think it yeah and it you're right and, and if this kind of thing does get watched by people 
example of which I shan't name, but is my father-in-law, who uh, <laughs> you know, who does tend to. He's a very smart man, but he does tend to repeat a lot of stuff and he toes sure. the party line my, my, my mom and dad um, you know and again Joe if you're listening to this why if not I love you buddy but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, like you know it makes it easier on the dinner table if they start to hear these different views um, but then again someone like David Remnick is not the man to do that it's someone like who should have like a Fox News correspondent who takes Steve Bannon to task on the unappealing aspects of his ideology and that kind of thing that's how you get the message through when you get the real effort when you leave aside the uh, the joke, I mean, let's be honest, like the actual politics are a bit of a joke. It's mm-hmm. mostly about the kind of issues at the core of yeah. it. Um, when you get people from what is ostensibly the same side as him just saying, no, this is wrong. Okay, look, I agree with you on like the small government, um, you know, the free markets and everything else. I cannot agree with you on this weird race shit you keep pulling. Man. Yeah. I mean, like, what the hell? Like, yeah. you know, this is the thing. That's when things change. When, yeah. when you start taking responsibility for your own backyard. And we need to do it on the left as well. Like yeah. we have a lot of raving lunatics on the left who we need to start keeping the ones in order. Showing so. up to a Supreme Court hearing in the Handmaiden's Tale. Uh. Yeah, the resistance. You know, yeah. the man's a goddamn president. Like you might like yeah. it, you might not like it. The, the resistance is called so. a election booth. It's called a voting booth. Yeah, exactly. Go out there yeah. in November. There's going to be a big one coming up here in November. Show up and take back Congress. Well, exactly. That's a good resistance. <laughs> I mean, as much as the right has dropped the ball over the last few years and allowing the Tea Party to metastasize mm-hmm. into Trump and everything else, the left has dropped sure. the ball hugely. And people like myself, particularly, are exactly precisely the blame for this because I'm very, I'm very I'm much on the left. Agree. But um, I've become so exhausted with the, you know, the hipsters and with everyone else who's got involved in it and the, you know, people being overly woke and just, Stuff yeah. like that. Um, that I've just disengaged from politics. Yeah. I don't talk to these people, even people in my own newsroom. Yeah, I can't talk to my politics because it just irritates me. It winds me up, and I've got enough stress in my life without that. So I've yeah. just abandoned it. What it needs is for reasonable people like you and me, who are on opposite ends of the spectrum, yeah. as we say, but can agree on what is essentially core decent values for human yeah. beings to live by, to just come back into politics. Um, I'd hate to say it, but like yeah, people like Ben Sass and people like that, and like the yeah. adults in the room to actually come Why in and say, "Hate Sadie's a wonderful man." Oh, no, exactly. yeah, <laughs> never, never idolize a politician. Trust me, they will always, as always, McCain so. will teach it, they will always let you down at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> let, let's not forget all this idolization, yeah. McCain, Sarah yeah. Palin, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, um, but just a a little bit more sense and pragmatism in politics will go a lot further. And heal a lot more wounds than having a fascist like Steve Bannon being able to talk for 45 minutes on stage regardless of the setting. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen. People need to come back into politics and people need to retake the centre. I think yeah. that's, yeah, there we go. I needed this. I'm, I'm happy, you know, th- I'm sure that everybody's basically is tuned out long before this. I need this. Mm. I, I found it enjoyable. Um, and by the way, I completely agree with you. I'd love to listen to Remnick. If it's sorry, I'll say so. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll listen to uh, the kind of response. Um, but yeah, so next week, oh, I should have said this at the beginning, damn it, before everybody stopped listening. Well, we've got Mark Dowd listening still, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Scheffler, I think, is still uh, on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think, or no, no, in the coming weeks, we have some really good stuff coming up. I can't give you some names yet, just in case you know things back, back out or just become, but next week we have one of the largest technology providers in the world uh, coming on to talk about a both a problem in the industry and a new product that they're offering. Uh, that's going to be a good conversation. Um, we have truly one of the biggest companies in the whole world coming on uh, the week after that yep. um, to discuss. Um, not again, the, the, we we do try and keep this as stuff that you guys will care about, in, industry issues, stuff like that. These aren't, you know, they can take out advertising if they want to just come on to trumpet their own thing. Hopefully, we do a good job as interviewers and steer the, the conversation properly. Um, and then 
and then the week after that, we have a, another huge, huge company that's going to be coming on. So we have a lot of good guests coming for you. It's not just going to be James and I just <laughs> ranting and raving about politics or about the technology of the future. Yes. <laughs> Which actually got a weird amount of uh, traffic on Twitter. I think it, did, it, did. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It was a good conversation. Was good. Yeah. Yeah. This one, eh, maybe not so much. But, yeah, I think uh, this one's going to get consigned to the uh, archives. Of, <laughs> or or yeah. we just get suspended for a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. No cursing on this one. Oh, uh, there's been a few. All right. Oh, are there? Yeah. Uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Mother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, again, we will be back with a guest next week. And uh, James will be out in Las Vegas. I will. Uh, if you're at the SSNC conference or if you're just in Las Vegas for whatever reason, give me a shout. Um, happy to grab a beer. All right. All right, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week.